2: Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It's looking very foggy out there and I'm not just talking about my view of the London skyline because the gloom actually is lifting as I stare out uh, over the top of the top of uh, Tower Bridge and the the Tower of London, Uh, but there is a distinct lack of clarity coming out of Downing Street. In fact, you might say the tier lockdown policies are about as clear as mud. Just imagine a scenario in one city alone and that is Liverpool, right? Cases of coronavirus start to rise significantly around September the 13th. Coincidentally, just as students begin to return to university and freshers arrive in the city for the first time, local lockdown is imposed a week later and cases rise even more quickly, suggesting that the lockdown isn't working. By October the 4th, Cases have quadrupled to over 500 a day and a tougher local lockdown is imposed. But so that is already the peak and the numbers are already falling. By November the 1st, the number of cases is back to pre-lockdown levels. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is when the mass testing trial begins. And after a tiny rise, the numbers continue to tumble to levels not seen since August. Now, I'm sorry to bamboozle you with figures and data right from the start on the show this morning. However, here's what I have to say to you you and I could conclude many things from that particular set of data but the last thing you would think was proved is that the mass testing somehow had an effect on the number of cases going down the two things don't appear to be connected at all and if you think about it the number of cases doesn't even represent the number of people infected with coronavirus it just represents the number of people who have tested positive in that particular part of the world. We'll be getting the latest this morning from Sun on Sunday's political editor David Wooding and Reform UK party chairman Richard Tice. He's going to joining us was his take on the latest shenanigans but given that he has been a great supporter of lifting the lockdown he will be absolutely incandescent I would imagine with the idea that we're lifting a lockdown to go into in many cases a worse lockdown 0344-499-1000. We'll talk to Saturday Kitchen celebrity chef Cyrus Toadie Waller about how his business is coping with the current situation. Comedian Dominic Holland is going to join us as well. He's got a new book out for Christmas aimed at cheering us all up. And Simon Calder will bring us the very latest on how on earth we're actually going to get anywhere next month. Depending on where you want to go, it's going to be very, very difficult indeed. 0344-499-1000. Plus, Olivia Utley joins us with her take on the week. Kevin O'Sullivan uh, is here with news on three big shows coming this weekend. And it's Friday, so it's time for the Perrier Awards, an homage to another record-breaking week with producer Marta Malagon. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, I'm delighted to be able to introduce you for the first time this month, I think, which is extraordinarily outrageous. David Wooding, the Sun on Sunday's political editor, a man who knows a thing or two about Liverpool and a man who knows a thing or two about tier three lockdown in Kent as well, I suspect. David, a very good morning to you. Morning, Mike. Now, you are right in the eye of the storm. So this is one reason why we wanted to talk to you, apart from the reasons that we would always want to talk to you. But uh, looking at those Liverpool figures, as Julie Hartley Brewer highlighted them this morning, the government's own coronavirus data... Showing basically that when the mass testing began, the f- the figures were already very very much on the wane, and and the number of cases was was at some of its lowest figures of the entire year. So yet the government is claiming that the testing system
3: works. Yes, well, I mean, it's, it's it's staggering because uh, if you if you look at, at Liverpool, they've gone from uh, from tier uh, tier. Th- tier 3 d- down to, t- to tier uh, 2. Right. Whereas in Kent where they're in tier 1, they've jumped up two tiers to tier 3. I mean, it, it is absolutely bizarre. I don't think it's got anything to do with numbers. Mm. I've come to a theory overnight that it's down to how the local NHS is coping. I've thought all along that none of this is about saving lives. Well, yes it is, but the main main issue is to stop the NHS being overwhelmed. Mm. And if you look at Kent... One of the reasons uh, this happened, uh, it was in tier one, so lowest, the lowest tier, lo- very very few infections, but in the far north east of Kent, uh, Ramsgate, Margate, and then often Swale, the Fannet area, yeah. Med, Medway Towns, those sort of areas, areas that they, they have really high infection rates. And what's happened as a result, their hospitals have been filled and some of the patients have been moved to hospitals in other parts of the county. Right. So when you move into the less infected areas, their hospitals are already starting to get filled up. Mm. So what do they do? They lock down the whole county. And I think that's what it's all about. It's about how the NHS is coping rather than numbers of infections. But then again, you could
2: make that argument about Kent perhaps, or parts of Kent, but you can't make that argument nationally because we know for a fact, don't we, that when Messrs. Witty uh, and Valance put out that sort of bogus uh, set of graphs a while ago which included the 4,000 deaths a day they also put out a set of graphs with the heat map of how uh, hospitals were filling up but they were neglected to show us all the hospitals didn't have any Covid patients at all and so yes. nas- nationally speaking there is no one picture there's, pic- there's there's parts of the country which are doing better than others aren't there?
3: Yeah and and yet again this is Boris Johnson being pulled both ways on the one side by the those with the economic argument uh, the terms for the exchequer I'll big, large rump of his uh, Conservative MPs. And on the other hand, um, uh, the the medical lobby, Matt Hancock Mm. and Professor Chris Whitty, the nation's top doctor, who's who's actually said yesterday that he would would urge Brits not to hug or kiss their grands this Christmas. And that clearly shows that they don't think he's going far enough. And Boris is trying to tread the line between the two. Now, if you listen to the health lobby all along... You know, they would they would lock us down in tier seven yeah. if, if there was such a thing. Well, I mean, I'm you know, sure looking at Chris Whitty,
2: a bloke who's never had a good time in his entire life, you'd wonder whether uh, he just wants everybody to stay indoors for the rest of time.
3: Yeah, absolutely. There's a great, a great piece in the, in the Telegraph by Esther McVeigh, the, um, the, the Conservative MP, this morning, in which she says, if the if the uh, Public Health England were asked how to cut deaths on the road, it's entirely conceivable that they would suggest banning all vehicles, and that is the that, effectively the the, well, the prism through which the health lobby see this. That's, that's, I mean, that's no already reason, uh, that's already much.
2: Sadiq Khan's policy. Let's, let's not give him <laughs> any more ideas, for heaven's sake. You know, but but listen, I mean, when you look though around the country at what happened yesterday and at the uh, the reflections that came back to the government they must know and we're already hearing from people like Ian Duncan Smith uh, and Damien Green and others who are absolutely incandescent with the way this has been done Are very unhappy about the kind of what, what looks like a sort of literally sort of flip a coin type decision making process I mean people in Manchester are already saying you know this is like you know, people trying to punish Andy Burnham the Manchester figures are actually not as high as they were before the first lockdown you know the way that Kent has been treated the way that many parts of the country which were in tier one before the lockdown have now been put into tier three and yet they're still telling us
3: that the lockdown works I mean what is going on? And also, don't forget the tears have been tweaked slightly so that uh, some of them are more intense than yeah. were before. And, and people are quite rightly believing that this is um, lock, full lockdown through the back door. Remember, Boris Johnson said he wouldn't have a second lockdown. Mm. So that one we had uh we've just we're just coming out of he he sort of broken his promise there but said well it's uh, it's not really a lockdown because we it, it's slightly different and then, and what he's doing now is we're having regional tiers um and, and of course there are only two little areas i think three the isles of scilly um part of the southwest peninsula and the isle of Wight yeah. where they're in tier one and um and if if that's the case that 's just it could be argued that that 's just a, a sort of sop to show that it isn 't a complete full lockdown of the u k mm. because it 's tiered. Well, this is the thing. I mean, as I
2: say, you, you live in Kent. I'm told from friends of mine who live there uh, very near Tunbridge Wells that there are, there's a movement now in Tunbridge Wells of people who are trying to prove that Tunbridge Wells is actually in East Sussex, not in Kent, so that it won't apply. <laughs> there's a, there's a, a town called Groombridge, which I mentioned yesterday, which is half in East Sussex, half uh, in Kent. Also, um, now I'm told if I'm driving through a Tier 3 area, for example, uh, as I go to Sussex, which is not in Tier 3, um, I'm not technically allowed to stop, am I, for anything. I have to keep going. Whereas today, if I do it, I can stop. And today we're in full lockdown. Next week, we're not.
3: Yeah, it, uh, that's the other point, isn't it, Mike? Do people really understand what this is all about? No. I mean, we've lost, we've, they've lost the plot. We've lost the plot. I can't, I don't know. I have to look, I'm, I'm on top of this. I write about nothing else all day. Uh, and then somebody says, oh, are we allowed to come, uh, come over at Christmas? What's the rules? You know? And yet, yeah, I have to look it up every time. I, well, don't, I, was, I, don't, I mean, I was I having
2: this conversation yesterday. As soon as Matt Hancock made the announcement, it was live on air on our show yesterday. I was asking Charlotte was our political correspondent, does this mean we can go to the pub on Wednesday? Yes. Does it mean uh, that we can go to the pub without having something to eat? No. Does it mean that we can sit outside a pub without having something to eat? I'm not sure. Does it mean I could go for a business meeting? And if I do go for a business meeting, do I have to eat? Nobody knows.
3: Yes, and if you ever see uh, the press conferences uh, when the minister is asked the question on what it means by a member of the public, you can see him looking both ways to, <laughs> to, 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 his, to his advice. It's, well, it's I become the old "how either. much" is,
2: it's become the old "how much is a pint of milk" question, isn't it?
3: Yeah, absolutely. It's, 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 I don't think I don't think anybody really knows what this is all about, it's so complicated. Uh, I mean, having said that, let's let's stop lift the gloom a little bit. Uh, I keep clinging on to this, Mike. There is light at the end of the tunnel, a bit like Brexit. You can see that the vaccines are coming. And that moment when the first jab goes in that arm, that's going to be a big boost for all of us. And I think I, I, I think and hope that they can do that before Christmas because it could give us something all to cheer about, you know, and, and, and feel. I, that I at think the end I inside.
2: think I'm, I'm likening it less now to a light at the end of the tunnel as a bridge at the end of the light at the end of the tunnel. Like, you know that bridge and tunnel between uh, Sweden and Denmark. It's a bit like that. You know, you come out the tunnel, but you're not there yet. You're still on a bridge. You know, and I think that's what's going on. But could it be? Could it be though that Downing Street is more convinced about giving jobs to people that used to serve pints to Matt Hancock? Uh, and uh, used to play tennis with the prime minister. Oh yeah, well, I mean, there's
3: there's all <laughs> yes, let's not let's not go into that one. <laughs> but yes, uh, uh, yeah, the, 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 there's obviously um, a lot a lot on on the agenda now. After, they, after this, this is all over, and that's going to we'll all be talking about the economy this time next year because the results of this will come back to bite the government on the bum because there'll be jobs going. Down in the pan, businesses collapsing, yeah. the economy going down, huge debt, taxes going up, um, services being cut. And the problem for Boris Johnson is going to be in the autumn. In, in a couple of years' time, we've forgotten about this, but you can see Keir Starmer standing there at the dispatch box saying, This government's driven us into unemployment. Okay, he thought he didn't, to deal with this complex situation. But nevertheless, he can use this flog the government uh, and, and 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 win votes because people will have gone through all this and they'll be going through a, a massive recession with jobs so yeah, well, I think the, the big world. problem here
2: for both the Tories and the Labour Party is that there's an awful lot of polls going on at the moment in which people are saying, actually, we're sick to death of regular politics. We're sick to death of these party yeah. pol- politicians who don't seem to understand the sense that's going on in the rest of the country. Forget about the people that vote for Brexit, but you're now damaging, you know, heartland Tory voters. I had a guy on yesterday from um, from Derbyshire who's got five pubs in Derbyshire none of which can be reopened at the moment because they're all in tier three, someone in Stafford. He employs 250 people begging for help from the government because he's getting some furlough money, but this time around, he has to pay the national insurance. For 250 people, that's a lot of money when you don't necessarily have it coming in.
3: Yeah, no, absolutely. And the nighttime industries, you know, the the, the clubs, don't to forget about them. They've been shut down completely all along. Um, and some of those clubs will never open again come uh, come Christmas. Yeah. It's a busy time of year. Um, uh, They've still been paying rent. They'll have run into arrears on their rent. They've already laid off half of their staff. Um, you know, how can they come back again? Mm. And, uh, and And you know, we've
2: got another sixth list, right before we talk about of there yeah. But listen, thank you very much for joining us. David Wooding, political editor at The Sun on Sunday. Here's the bottom line, right? Uh, we're going into a Christmas period which supposedly is going to be good for business. We've got Black Friday on the go, which is supposedly good for business. I don't know about you. Uh, I'm not buying anything on Black Friday. I don't think it's really a thing this year. You could tell me differently, of course, if you wish. But... But the end in the end result uh, is that we will be hurtling into Christmas. A lot of people won't know whether they can have a business open at Christmas. A lot of people won't know what they can do at Christmas. They won't know where they can go at Christmas. The Independent Republic of
1: Mike Graham
2: on Talk Radio. Let's talk to Richard Tice, chairman of the Reform UK Party, businessman, of course, a man uh, who has been thoroughly against this lockdown policy since the beginning. Richard, a very good morning to you.
1: Good morning to you, Mike. How are you doing? Yeah,
2: very well indeed. I mean, it's a lot of anger in the country this morning, Richard. I mean, we picked up a bit of it yesterday afternoon. Uh, but as more and more people have realised that, you know, um, the government is literally standing on the head of a pin and uh, not realising it's about to burst the balloon and they're all going to fall into the water. I don't know why I'm using a kind of it's a knockout analogy, but that's how it feels. You know, they don't seem to realise that nobody's believing a word of it.
1: It, it, it's quite unbelievable. I mean, it really is. I am absolutely steaming from every sinew of my body with with frustration, with incandescent anger at what this government is doing to this country. They're not running the country. They no. are literally ruining the country. Mm. And, you know, I had a nervousness that the government would do this, that they would uh, basically keep us in lockdown, but pretend it was called something else. Um, and yet, yeah, essentially, they've moved almost the whole country upwards into a tighter level of lockdown uh, than was previously the case under the previous tiers, you know, as far as we're concerned at Reform UK, the whole country should either be in tier zero or tier one. Mm. And the proof of the pudding, uh, Mike, is the data. And it's always good to focus on the data. The government doesn't seem very good on that. Um, look at the data coming out of L- Liverpool. And as Julie was, uh, was highlighting earlier... Mm when she completely skewered uh, the housing secretary, Robert Jenrick, um, the Liverpool cases data started to fall in October. And then when Liverpool started testing with the new rapid lateral flow test on the 6th of November, over the next two weeks, uh, the the, the cases there plummeted per 100,000 by over 50%. And what that's actually showing is that I think the whole country is being misled based on false data from these, the, the government standard PCR tests, where I think there's huge contamination in the laboratories where they're processed, um, and the new lateral flow test is, is producing results just one fifth of the positives, just mm. one in five of the positives that you are seeing from the government the PCR test in the same community in Liverpool. So you've got a direct comparison there, using two different types of tests, and what it's showing is that the government standard test they're using all over the country, I think, is wholly inaccurate can't be trusted and all of what's going on is based on dodgy, false, incorrect data. And the question is, and we need to establish this soon and I'm working hard on this, the question is who in government truly knows what is going on? Do they they know at this and they're covering it up or are they so incompetent, so negligent but they just don't know it. Yeah,
2: I think it's an extremely important question and it's one of the many questions that have never been answered throughout this whole situation because we've now got, you know, evidence to suggest that, um, you know, there are loads of people doing business with the government, um, which I have no objection to people doing business with the government at all, uh, but they don't seem to know what they're doing either. You know, the idea that... I mean, you're a businessman. The idea that Boris Johnson gets up and says, well, look, we had to pay through the nose for all this stuff back in March because we didn't know how much of it we would need. I mean, can you imagine employing a manager in a business that you were running who said to you, look, I'm terribly sorry I bankrupted your business, but, you know, I had to get this stuff in because you told me to, and so I just gave this guy whatever money he asked for. I mean, hello... This, the, the place is so inefficient that I'm, I, I mean, I can believe that they are that inefficient and that useless.
1: The, the, I, I think, you know, the, the truth will out about the, the the cronyism. You know, basically, if you were a mate of an MP or a minister, you had a much, much higher chance of getting a contract uh, for supplying PPE, even if you'd never supplied a single uh, item of PPE Ever before in your life, even if you didn't know how to spell the word, let mm-hmm. alone the specification of the stuff. Um, so I think the cronyism and potential corruption uh, has been huge, and I think the incompetence of the civil service has been highlighted. Because you know, it turns out, you know, what they should have done is they should have they should have put in some some maximum profit margins. They should have put in some some penalty clauses, some performance clauses, some proper metrics. They haven't done any of that, and of course, the biggest contract of all we understand where they haven't done that is the test and trace contract with circo multi-billion pounds um a complete failure and instead of changing it or firing them or, or moving the test and trace system locally into the public health authorities that many people have been calling for no no no, they just extend the cost by another 10 billion from 12 billion to 22. so you know if it's not working don't um you know don't try and sort it out no no just just throw more money at the problem. I mean, it's utterly incompetent and a disgraceful way to look after taxpayers' cash, our our hard-earned money. money. Yeah,
2: and the thing I find even more extraordinary was after that ridiculous press conference yesterday or during it um, when people like Laura Kunzberg asked questions. They don't ask questions based upon the fact that what they've just been told could be complete rubbish. They base it on the fact that what they've just been told is all true. And they start asking these ludicrous questions like, well, you know, how important will it be for the people in tier two to do what you've asked them to do in order not to go into tier three? And it's like this sort of mass um, buy in that some people in this country are doing. But I think the numbers of people like you and I who are not get buying it are getting bigger.
1: Yeah, I think they are. There's no question. You know, you can just look from social media. Um, the, the frustration, the anger is growing. And I guess really the question is: At what point uh, do some of us say, do "You know what? We're done. Enough is enough. We're going to organise some form of, of huge, huge uh, show uh, to the government that um, we're not going to put up with this anymore." And um, you know, all ideas gratefully received. But really and truly, you know, we should just not allow our country uh, to be ruined, to be destroyed, tens of thousands of businesses. Um, going to the wall, millions of jobs uh, disappearing, our young people being locked up in universities, suicide soaring. I mean, it's just—it's it, utterly mind-boggling, and and the sooner that we can force uh, force change. Um, and have a real show of, of discontent, the better.
2: I mean, I wonder whether the May elections are going to provide that for you, Richard. I know that you guys are working on um, putting candidates up for Reform UK. I mean, could the May elections end up becoming a kind of referendum on this government?
1: Well, I, I certainly hope they will. That's assuming they go ahead. Um, believe it or not, Mike. Well, actually, um, probably bill- can- if
2: they think they're going to get defeated massively, they'll probably cancel them, right?
1: Seriously, don't <laughs> joke, Mike. Um, there is a bill... In the Scottish Parliament, giving the to give the Scottish ministers the unique discretion at their own uh, discretion um, to delay the elections up there. I'm told there's a bill similarly uh, going to the Welsh Assembly. Um, so you know the May elections uh, they, they must take place in my view, no question at all. And yeah, we're very focused on that. We've got lots and lots of people applying across the board. Um, I hope many of your listeners, you know, if they feel energised. Um, you know, go to our website. Please apply. That is the first, uh, you know, demonstration at the ballot box where people can show their discontent, not only with this Conservative government, but with the supine sheep-like Labour Party uh, that just follows mm. on uh, behind um, and says, "Oh, you know, actually, maybe you should lock down a bit further. Maybe we should put a few more hundred thousand people out of their jobs. Maybe we should just draw a few more thousand businesses." Um, all the while, completely ignoring the context, which is that actually. 99.5% of people who catch this virus survive it. Um, and notwithstanding that actually since June, there are hardly any excess deaths in the UK at all. It's within the margin of error. I think mm. it's sort of around the sort of two or 3%. It's all about the context. And, and the other important thing to remember is, you know, yes, this is a dangerous virus for a tiny minority of people. And yes, people are sadly dying. It's the only certainty in life. But the reality also it's true But there are hundreds less respiratory cases in hospital every single day, every week. Why? Because they're being allocated as COVID cases. So there's an offset there. And I think, you know, the data is completely misleading people Mm. because of the false data of these, uh, these PCR tests.
2: Well, I think the only thing we can be certain of is that there is no piece of data being used by the government which is actually quantifiable. We don't think I mean, Ian Duncan Smith himself, a former leader of the Tory party, said that he does not believe that any of the data currently being quoted by the government has been properly tested and properly kind of, you know, um, stress tested, if you like, because even the even the death figures that we get uh, are people who have had a corona test within the last 28 days. There is no guarantee that all of those people died of coronavirus.
1: Yeah, it it's. It, it, uh it is so disappointing it's so it's hard to know what to believe um i'm very focused on these ptr pcr tests um and and all the suggestions that hospitals are being overrun um just simply are not borne out by the data coming out of the nhs when you look at uh, the number of bed spaces be they be admitted be they be in um, uh, icu departments you know they are in line with normal five-year averages for this time of the year, because guess what, folks? We're going into winter. You know, there's always um, some form of of winter crisis that the media always, uh, you know, bang on about mm. in the NHS. Well, every year we um, get the at same this story. time of the year, every, every year I mean, we get the same we, story, yeah. and it's it's happening again now. And they're using it as an excuse, and it's just it's it's just disgraceful, and it's mm. destroying the country.
2: Exactly right. And finally, uh, Richard, tell us what the Portuguese courts have said about these PCR tests.
1: So this is really important, actually, uh, that um, uh, I believe it was four people who had been asked to quarantine uh, in Portugal because of the PCR test data. They actually took the government to court and they won. The Portuguese courts found that the PCR test was unreliable uh, in the way that they were carrying them out just based on laboratories um, because it had no separate assessment from a doctor or physician about the symptoms of the individual uh, person receiving the test. So this is really important. If we've got courts in Portugal, you know, part of the European Union, highly respected country, uh, highly respected health service, if we've got courts in Portugal saying that actually the PCR test is unreliable, then um, you know, maybe we should be looking again. Interestingly, Mike, um, countries like Norway, where you've got very few COVID cases, there's a reason for that. That is that every time they get a positive PCR test, guess what they do? They double check it mm. with a second test. And of course, therefore, the numbers come plummeting down. So what I would be urging is that in this country, we should stop using the PCR test full stop. If the government can't um, own up to admitting its cock ups, then tell you what, folks, let's double check every single positive with a lateral flow test. And I think you'll find the numbers plummet. And then I think you'll find that people will be calling for heads to roll at the top of government and at the top of SAGE.
2: Indeed they will. Richard Tice, thank you very much indeed for your time. Chairman of Reform UK businessman, of course. The the, the elections coming up in May, as I said, could well become a referendum uh, on this government and the way that this government has operated over the course uh, of this whole coronavirus. Let's not forget, you know, it wasn't the government's fault the coronavirus came to this country. It wasn't the government's fault that people started dying uh, from an unknown, previously unknown virus that came from China. However, It is now time to take stock of what is going on. It is now time to take stock of what they've done. We all went along with it for very, very much of the first part of this year, Uh, certainly here at Talk Radio. And in my own personal case, I had faith in what Boris Johnson and the government were doing. Uh, I took notice of the first lockdown. I think now uh, people are starting to get very angry, particularly those who are being restricted from making any money, those who are being restricted from seeing their family, those who are being restricted by law from going anywhere and doing anything. We've had enough, I think, is
4: the message coming to the government. It's pretty soon. They better start picking it up. This is Talk Radio.
0: A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times.
4: Mid morning with Mike Graham. Talk radio.
2: Well, when you look around the front pages of the newspapers this morning, it's a pretty bleak old picture, isn't it? The Telegraph uh, has got moved down one tier, 1. 1.8 million, stayed the same, 19.9 million, moved up one tier, 29.5 million, uh, and moved up two tiers, 4.6 million. Effectively, uh, what we're looking at is only about 3.2% of the population uh, who have improved their lot. Thanks to uh, Sage. Thanks to Witty. Thanks to Valance. And thanks to Boris Johnson. Let's talk to Olivia Utley, find out what she makes of it all. Olivia, very good morning to you. Welcome. yeah. Now, it looks as though uh, more and more we were quite right to make Matt Hancock plank of the week because um, it doesn't look as though there's any light emanating from Downing Street. Uh, in fact, the fog of gloom is all over the place
5: yeah absolutely um um it is so bizarre i'm just reading a piece in the sun now saying that in 111 of 119 areas which are being forced into tier three cases are falling mm. <laughs> so literally there's this tiny little bit of east sussex where apparently cases are on the rise everywhere else that's going into tier three tier three cases are going down so what on earth is the logic to it it just seems absolutely bizarre yeah um and Sorry,
2: what was that? No, no, I was going to say, and Robert Jenrick was on with Julie Hartley Brewer this morning, saying that uh, very soon they're going to be issuing their uh, analysis of uh, the cost benefit to various parts of the economy, because that's what we've never seen. I mean, it doesn't take a genius to work out that the cost benefit analysis is not going to be very encouraging.
5: No, definitely not. Um, I was looking at this amazing chart this morning of um, excess deaths uh, in every year since 1995 to now. And um, for the past sort of 12 weeks, I think it was, there have been no excess, no excess deaths above the normal for the average time of year um, in the UK in 2020. Um, so there's basically no benefit to this to this lockdown and we know what the cost is the cost is absolutely enormous so well, many exactly. jobs every single day, drum roll of job cuts and livelihoods completely ruined so I think that cost benefit analysis is going to be pretty depressing
2: I mean the only thing that I can see is that which is in any way uh, possibly optimistic is that they are going to review all this again in two weeks time but you wouldn't place any bets on it that they're going to improve people's situations they might actually make it worse for everyone
5: Yeah, I really don't have much, sorry to be depressing, but I don't have much faith in that at all. So reviews every two weeks, but Boris has already said uh, expect to be in it for the long haul and basically reading between the lines, this is going to last until March. Mm. And that ridiculous thing you said, where where he said, uh, your tear is not your destiny. sounded like a 10 year old playing some sort of game in the playground. Well, do you know what it made me oh.
2: think of? It made me think of going back to the future uh, where, you know, um, McFly is trying to teach his dad how to say something about destiny and he ends up saying density, you know, <laughs> like your tear is not your density. And, and he couldn't get it right. And he, comes, he keeps coming out with these ludicrous phrases, you know, like, you know, it's time to be jolly careful and all of that. You know, the season to be jolly careful. And yesterday there was a few more of this kind of public school uh, type speak, which doesn't speak to anyone in the real world.
5: No, it doesn't at all. And also, OK, your tier isn't your destiny. So in two weeks' time, we might be in a lower tier. But on what grounds? If cases are falling everywhere anyway, we should be lowering tiers now, but we're not. So mm. why would anything be different in two weeks' time? That's what I struggle to understand. Yeah. What would have to be different for us to be going down a tier when it's clear that throughout the whole country the R number is going down? And in every area that's being forced into tier three, the virus is in reverse. What more do we need to go down a tier? I, I just know. can't see it happening.
2: I know. It's unbelievable. It really is. And and when you see the actual uh, the, the situation, regarding real businesses and real people it's actually now worse because I I spoke to a, a, a pub owner yesterday he's got five pubs this time around unlike the first lockdown he has to pay national insurance on 250 employees that he's got so he's actually now losing money on a daily basis on a weekly basis because he's unable to do business I think he should be able to sue for some kind of compensation
5: i agree and i mean i think particularly in tier two areas there's a big problem because yes people are allowed to go out to a restaurant but they're only allowed to go with their family members right. so i mean who really wants to do that you're stuck inside with your family members right. all the time maybe the odd dinner but you go out to meet your friends for a meal and if you're not allowed to do that then yes technically the business is allowed to do business but it won't really do any business right. and it won't be properly compensated for that so it's really horribly unfair it's also putting the restaurants in a really difficult situation because if in tier two uh two people from not the same household are found socializing indoors it's the pub or restaurant that gets in trouble for housing them Mm. how on earth are restaurateurs supposed to prove that you know i'll go into pubs and restaurants with my friend and say yeah i live with her um uh, clearly that's surely what everyone's going to do and it's completely unenforceable
2: but that's right and i think most sensible um people who own restaurants and own bars are simply asking the question and whether you answer it truthfully or not is not really their position. Uh, That's down to you. So that's the ridiculous issue here. Because again, at Christmas time, I'm told, if you are in a tier three at Christmas, you can still do all the things that you can do if you're in a tier one at Christmas, but you can't do it beyond the 27th. and, And thereafter, you know, you have to go back to not seeing anybody. But yet you still can't go to the pub with the people you're having Christmas dinner with.
5: I know, and there are just so many absurdities to this. So just for a small example, and this must be the same up and down the country, my boyfriend and I are planning to go and stay with his dad in Cornwall over Christmas, Um, but we're going to be there from Boxing Day, and plan was (laughs) that we would go back on New Year's Eve, but now we're told we're not allowed to go back on New Year's Eve, so apparently it would be better for us travelling on December the 27th when the whole of the rest of the country are moving around. We should be on a packed train on December the 27th, instead of on an empty train four days later. What is the logic in that? We're going to be in a bubble anyway. Mm. It's just Complete madness! It really Another is a mad thing. I
2: mean, it might is, as well say they might as well say if you travel on the twenty eighth of December, you might turn into a pumpkin.
5: Exactly. I mean, it's just so ludicrous. The other, one of the really weird things I saw was if you travel to a different tier area, you're allowed to go, but you have to obey your own tier rules while you're there. Oh yeah. So I could go to Cornwall, and I could Mike's dad, my boyfriend's dad, who lives in Cornwall, would be allowed to sit inside. But I would have to sit outside because I'm from a tier two zone. <laughs> like I'm a sort of diseased person. Well, it's so like Tiny like, Tim go,
2: at scratching at the window. Um, I mean, it really
5: <laughs> yeah, is. Exactly. It really,
2: I mean, like I said, I mean, I said to somebody yesterday, they've sort of turned Christmas into like something like a visit to the dentist when you know you have to get a filling. You know, it's just <laughs> bonkers. But the thing that, that, that gets me as well uh, is the ludicrous nature of how... Um, They can just arbitrarily make stuff up in Scotland. I don't know if you saw what Nicola Sturgeon's been saying. She's basically saying to people, don't buy presents. Give people gift vouchers because somehow that's more COVID secure. Go for a walk instead of having Christmas dinner together. Um, If you are inside, you must be two metres apart from one another. You know, as if everybody lives in a castle. You know, if in fact um, uh, you're able to just keep all the windows open and freeze to death, it's nonsense. (laughs)
5: Also, yeah, that's what I keep thinking. All of this stuff about going for walks and keeping the windows open while you eat, everyone's just going to catch horrible colds Yeah, get really ill with flu.
2: I know. Um, unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. Let's talk about the public sector, generally speaking, because um, a lot of people have been praising Claire Fox, who was on Prime Minister yeah. uh, Question Time last night. I've also been amused. My favourite tweet of the day so far this morning is from Momentum. Uh, who are apparently still urging the Labour Party to uh, give the whip back to Jeremy Corbyn on the grounds that most people in the Labour Party think that's what should happen.
5: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Most people in the Labour Party who are entryists who entered for £3 when Jeremy Corbyn became... That's right. Leader of the opposition, shock, would like Jeremy Corbyn to stay in the Labour Party. Those aren't real serious Labour members. I think they've been using
2: the same polling company as the one that says that most people in Britain want there to be more of lockdown. (laughs)
5: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so that row is just going to rumble on and on and on, and just yeah. proves how little control Keir Starmer really has of his party. You know, people said when he took over, well, that's that's that that's a horrible phase in Labour's history, but it's all behind us, and Sir Keir will save save the day. Mm. Um, and he just doesn't have that sort of power sadly. He doesn't
2: even he doesn't um, even have control over the unions anymore does he because the public sector unions saying we're all going to go on strike It's like oh great that's just what we need thanks a lot you know
5: Yeah, exactly. Um, They're all absolutely furious because they're not getting a pay rise um, at a time where we're in deep recession and everyone in the private sector pretty much has had their their pay cut in some way. Well, not everyone, but lots and lots of people have had their pay cut and public sector workers demanding a pay rise and threatening to go on strike. Um, It's all quite alarming. And yeah, as you mentioned, Claire Fox there, her thing on Question Time was really good saying, pointing out that it's not only public sector workers who've been heroes during the coronavirus pandemic, Private sector workers too. I mean, think for example of Big Pharma. No one likes to praise Big Pharma, but Big Pharma's come through with this vaccine. Those are private companies, aren't yeah. those heroes? Um what about journalists who've yeah. been reporting all this? Well I don't think you're
2: um, gonna win I do you're gonna win any favours for journalists, but what about supermarket workers who are all working in the private sector?
5: Exactly. I mean anyone who's selling anything which has been really, really useful during the pandemic, anyone who's I mean, serious broadcast journalists who've been who've been telling the story, what's going on, who've been uh, investigation in the government that's surely important it's not just public sector workers who've been heroes no um, but it's so, also it takes us back as well to, to this
2: this on. very annoying kind of um You know, NHS, sainted NHS um, um, sort of pandemic narrative that we get that, you know, here we are another winter, another crisis, another shortage of beds, another shortage of of facilities. You know, we get this every single year. So it's no different now that we're being told coronavirus is going to make it difficult for the NHS because every winter we get the same story.
5: Yeah, absolutely. And also, the NHS is heavily reliant on private companies. Uh, their supply chains are quite often privatized. Um, obviously, lots of, yeah, big pharma creates lots of the medicine used in the NHS. It's not like a sort of public sector versus private sector. Um, there's private sectors embedded in the NHS everywhere. So, to pitch it to some sort of NHS, wonderful saintly heroes who want to, who should be just rewarded absolutely endlessly for what they're doing, which is obviously wonderful, but there are lots of people doing wonderful things mm. in this pandemic, and we just can't afford to give everyone a whopping pay rise in a recession. No,
2: exactly right. What about the foreign aid budget? What do you make of the rows about that?
5: Yeah, um, I find this one quite interesting. I mean, I'm pro-foreign aid a bit. Um, I think we have a bit of a moral obligation to help the least well off the world. The problem is that our foreign aid budget, we never spend it properly. Um, I read this fascinating report the other day about how because we are, we have such a high contribution, um, we never know how to spend it with It's a really small department, the Department for International Development, um, and a huge budget, and they just don't know how to spend the money. So this money just gets put into some sort of massive international resource where everyone's putting their aid money across the whole of Europe, and then no one really knows how to spend it. So it goes on absolutely ridiculous things, like sort of new Indian railway. India is now an incredibly rich country, why are we paying for Indian railways? If a budget is properly spent, then that's great. And I think it should go ahead. But because it's such a huge budget and such a tiny department, we can't spend it properly and it's being wasted. Mm. So I think a cut to 0.5% makes a lot of sense. Um, and, yeah, it's interesting to see. The well, it is. It's like many sure.
2: government uh, budgets, isn't it? You know, government budgets, which I'm, I talked about earlier on today with Richard Tice, you know, when they when they made this ridiculous argument that, well, we spent all this money in March because we had to buy all this equipment, some of which wasn't actually of any use to us. But because we needed it, we just gave everyone as much money as they asked for. You know, that's not the way you do business. You don't just go, how much do you want? You know, it's like you walk outside of the Albert Hall and they say, how much do you want to pay for an Eric Clapton ticket? And the guy goes, 2000 quid. You don't go, you're right then. You just say, well, I'll give you 200 for it and see how you go. You know, but the, but the government, when they deal with our money, and I love the fact that Rishi Sunak makes out like it's all his money. It's not his money. It's our money.
5: Being generous, I know. And I'm also so sick of this argument, which I keep on hearing, which is, well, we spaffed a load of money in April, so we may as well keep doing it now. Mm. Uh, no, we wasted loads of money in April, so we should be much more careful right. now. Or how about um, we shouldn't have wasted the money in April in the first place? yeah absolutely it's not well we've wasted loads of money so let's waste some more Mm. uh no so on the whole i think rishi sunak's measures in the budget i mean obviously we're still being far too generous really but i think the places that he's cut make quite a lot of sense um public sector free pay freeze makes Mm. sense when the whole of the country is having a pay freeze and lots of people having a pay cut Mm. um a small cut to our foreign aid budget in a time of crisis for this country makes a lot of sense so i think they're good moves but they're probably not
2: yeah And also, I think sometimes you can judge uh, the strength of an argument by the people that are making it. And when you see people like David Cameron and John Major banging on about something, you realise that we're probably doing the right thing.
5: (laughs) Yeah, that's a good (laughs) problem.
2: Olivia, thanks very much indeed. Hope you have a good weekend. Olivia Utley, uh, who's not allowed inside uh, at Christmas, which will be a bit uh, bit inconvenient for her, so you better get yourself a couple of warm coats uh, and some very, very big boots, I think. Isn't this ridiculous, what we're being told we can and cannot do? It is absolutely time, I think, uh, to call out this madness, isn't it? Mid-morning with Mike Graham.
1: Talk Radio.
2: Now, let us say a very, very good afternoon to Mr. Simon Calder, her travel editor on of the independent at a time when travel is not that easy to do. Simon, a very good afternoon to you.
4: Uh, Good afternoon, Mike. I'm speaking to you from Victoria Coach Station. Tremendous. In central London. Um, It says, proudly serving Great Britain and the continent since 1932. (laughs) I thought for a moment that was you, but no, it is Victoria Coach Station. Wonderful 1930s building. And actually, one of the few places this coming Christmas, where you can be fairly sure if you're one of the um, uh, 19 million British people who don't have access to uh, a car that you'll be able to travel pretty much any day of the year. Listen, you've taken uh,
2: taken me back to my youth, Simon, because you're right to say that we do reach all parts of Europe and beyond. But actually, we reach even further than that uh, into all manner of uh, dark places that uh, even you would never consider going. But uh, I took one of my very first ever trips as a young adult male with a girlfriend uh, to Torquay from that very national coach station, a bus trip to Torquay. What could be better?
4: Well, the nation's females, Mike, are just wishing they were there well, rather than your lucky, lucky girl. time. Indeed, indeed, yeah. absolutely.
2: Anyway, that's yeah. enough of my private life. Yeah. Let's get on with uh, what's going on. Now, um, yeah. we, I, I've spotted a couple of holes, uh, as I'm sure you have, in the government's uh, travel plans over Christmas because I did hear you earlier in the week telling Julia Hartley Brewer that, of course, it's all very well saying you can only travel between the 22nd or the 23rd and the 27th, but there's at least two of those days where there's not much public transport anyway uh,
4: it, almost none almost none um yeah so uh, it's uh, crucially it's northern ireland gets um, the extra day bolted on each end 22nd and 28th for right. travel but england wales and scotland know you are firmly stuck to the 23rd to the 27th and of those days no trains at all anywhere on christmas day and hardly any on uh, boxing day there's exactly one long distance train on um uh, Boxing Day, 26th of December, that's going to take you from Mary Boone to Birmingham and back, and mm. that's it. Every, everybody else, um, well, just the approaching uh, Victoria Railway Station. Yeah, that will be open just for the Gatwick Express every half hour, and uh, the Heathrow Express is running. A few, station, uh, a few trains around Glasgow are going to be running, but that's your not. Mm. But I mean, and you say there's on... a
2: train. You say there's a train running to Birmingham. But if Birmingham remains in Tier Three, you're not supposed to go there anyway, are you?
4: All bets are off from the twenty third to the twenty seventh, Mike. We have this bizarre situation, and I must say, I've been so pleased to hear during your program this morning how positive everybody is feeling about English lockdown ending and the tier system <laughs> beginning. <laughs> um, but, but honestly, you've got this ridiculous thing where yeah, that guy from Leicester wasn't he great? 36 weeks under the lockdown, suddenly it's all going to be removed for the purposes yes. of Christmas from the 23rd to the 27th. Mm. Um, and you'll be able to go wherever you want to. So, yes, you can, if you want to, go to Birmingham for the day from London, nearly You can go anywhere you want to. Um, the roads are going to be quite exciting, I predict, especially on the 23rd and the 27th. And if you think, oh, well, just managed to get a train ticket, uh, fantastic, from... Um, uh, King's Cross mm. to uh, to York or to Edinburgh on the 23rd or the 24th. Well, unfortunately, when you try and come back, you'll discover that uh, King's Cross station is completely closed from <laughs> the last train on Christmas Eve till the first train on New Year's Eve. So um, uh, so course- so
2: that's no that's no use. I mean, we've got people in the office here telling us that they can't go north because the time in the travelling uh, sort of arrangements that they would need to make would make it difficult to come
4: back. Yes, uh, and that is going to be a huge problem for an awful lot of people. And and particularly that one day where even if um, your train is running, everybody is going to be trying to get back to where they need to be on the 27th. And, and to that, um, well, you're talking um, just before the news about the billions and billions of pounds that have been spent. Um, well, 10 billion of those has been spent on running empty trains for the past uh, uh, eight months or so. And unfortunately, we're now at the stage where we actually need all the trains we can get. Uh, they're, down, they're doing lots of social distancing, more mm. or less halving the um, uh, capacity of the trains. And, and you will recall, Mike, um, in the olden days, um, if you had a, an open ticket for your train, you could always pile on. You yeah. might have to stand all the way from London to Newcastle, but you knew you'd get there. Well, that's not going to apply anymore. So are they actually you're going, going to, to
2: stop people from getting on trains, even if they've been able to buy a ticket
4: then? Well, you won't be able to get a... Uh, you, you're going to have to have a reservation for every every long-distance journey. Right. And um, it's going to be quite, quite tricky, I'm afraid. They do this in France, bizarrely. I've been to uh, various stations in provincial France close to Christmas, mm. and they'll say, um, uh, Je suis désolé, pas de uh Oh, uh, uh, No trains until the first of January. There simply aren't any seats available. But it's not something that the Brits have ever done no. until now. Mm. So um, I'm afraid that's not going to be great. No, I've, I've,
2: uh, I've, like you, been on trains in other parts of the world. In America, for example, Thanksgiving weekend, which is what we're in right now. I mean, uh, I've, I've, I've been on trains which have been so packed out, um, going up and down the sort of East Coast corridor, um, because people just refuse to be told they can't get on
4: yeah well, don't try that any uh, on any uh, long distance train this uh, uh, this Christmas, I'm afraid. um on the roads twenty uh, third twenty seventh are going to be the key dates if you can possibly go on Christmas day, I think as with most Christmas days, that's not going to be too bad. Mm. Um, and uh, of course uh, you can fly domestically within the uk but prices are going through the roof
2: well i was going to mention uh, car hire to you as well because i'm told that the, yes. the car hire companies have already started ramping up their uh, their daily sort of rates
4: yeah sure and look i don't actually blame them um because they've had an absolutely terrible year mm. as have of course the airlines the railway uh, companies the bus companies and so on hotels holiday firms um, and all they're doing is they're reflecting a very, very strong demand, partly actually from people who are thinking, I think wrongly. Oh, I don't want to go on a train. I don't want to be near any people. Yeah. Um, let's rent a car. And so, you know, the minimum premium we're going to be paying over Christmas is 50 uh, percent. Uh, but I'm seeing some rates increasing twice, three, four times as much as uh, as much as they normally are. So, mm. yeah, it's um, it, it's going to be tough for everybody. And underlying this, the question you need to ask is, is your journey really necessary? Yeah. Um, and if it is, then you have to decide, well, is it even possible? Because uh, yeah, But I mean, surely, will...
2: surely and I know you not, might not be able to answer this and it may change between now and Christmas. But I mean, if you're, for example, going up to, I don't know, Yorkshire to see your parents. Right. And you go up there uh, quite legitimately before Christmas, um, but you want to come back on the 28th because of, of circumstances, have meant that that's the case. Surely it's essential for you to travel back on the 28th, regardless of the fact that the government says you're not supposed to be.
4: Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you will then be in breach of either guidance or the law, and I haven't actually seen the legislation, so I haven't studied it yet. Yeah, no, but if you've got but, to go back
2: to work some, no, then that's yeah. an essential journey. Uh, oh,
4: sure, yeah, but they'll say, well, I mean, genuinely, they could say, Mike, okay. Um, so tell us where you were on the night of the 27th, where you woke up on the 28th, what were you doing there? We told you you couldn't be there. You're in trouble, pal. Um, and yeah. I, 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 agree with you. And and look, I mean, uh, there are urgent, essential journeys that people have to make. But anything which looks like a a holiday, anything that looks like a family visit, um, outside the, uh, the the window of opportunity, um, I think will be frowned upon, not just by the law, but probably also by By other people, and of course, there's um, many people who think that uh, uh, we've been hearing this morning that lockdown is, as practised, ridiculous. But there's also lots of people who think it's it's silly having this five days where you suddenly say, right, everybody in Leicester go and meet everybody in the Isle of Wight now. Um,
2: (laughs) Well, I mean, to be honest, it doesn't sound as though the people in Leicester are any sicker than the people in the Isle of Wight. It's just that they've been in lockdown for 36 weeks.
4: I wouldn't go there if I were you. I mean, I would go, yeah. I go, there, I go to places nobody goes to. You're the other way. No,
2: listen, That's I go to places nobody else goes to. That's why we're so successful here at Talk Radio. But listen, what about <laughs> if you wanted if you wanted to, to, to take your life in your hands and fly abroad for Christmas? What's the well, rules on that?
4: Well, look, there are no rules. Um, anybody in any... Uh, right? Sorry, right now, there's many, many, many rules. Nobody can uh, go anywhere for fun um that ends on uh, the 2nd of december whereupon you can go anywhere you like abroad, even if you're in tier three and and forgive me i haven't actually seen the legislation for wales scotland and northern Ireland, Mm. so don't say this has got it but from england anybody in tier three that's fine um you're not supposed to leave tier three so i'm going to an international airport to fly abroad oh that's all right then I mean that—that's basically the uh, situation. The government would rather you didn't travel, but they're not going to stop you. Mm. Um, It's more of a question of um, who's going to let you in. Yes. I mean, not you personally, Mike. Although I understand that it's sometimes a consideration. (laughs) But um, about the one place I can see where you can go and come back and not have any um, coronavirus-related hassle is Gibraltar.
2: Right. I mean, that is the situation. I mean, I'm being visited, uh, hopefully, by my daughter who's coming in from Dubai, um, who has now found herself herself in a travel corridor, so she doesn't have to quarantine when she gets here. Um, She takes loads of tests anyway, being a Dubai resident, and so she may have to take another one when she goes back there. Um, I also uh, can reveal, without giving too much away, that uh, there are certain Europeans uh, to my knowledge that are going home to see their families and they will be uh, obviously having to do quarantine when they get back but it will be shorter than it was
4: uh well yeah it's going to be reduced from the 15th of december down to 5 days right. if you are prepared to take a test and of course um, we we've all, we've all become experts on tests um so a pcr tests will work although um you might prefer to take a cheaper quicker one um and that will be allowed again i've not studied every single line of the um of the yeah uh, i was going to ask you at what point
2: do you take the test do you take the test at the airport when you arrive or do you take the Uh, test
4: uh, once you get home oh you you, you're right okay so um uh, let's let's imagine that somebody going to see their family in europe they come back they go straight back from the airport bureau staff station or whatever to home they yeah. stay there for five full days right then they take a test which either involves going to a a center to take the test or it involves um going to uh, uh a or doing it by mail once you get a a negative result mm. then you are free to join the rest of it in tier one two or three depending on where you happen to be okay um uh, but but it's and what if it's to...
2: and what if it's negative of positive rather, do you have to do another five
4: uh, well you 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 just um, then immediately go into the uh uh the procedure the protocol you know staying in self isolating from everybody else there is yeah, but <laughs> uh, how long for the... though oh uh, well Oh, crikey, crikey. <laughs> Sorry, that's a good, Simon. good
2: question. Well, no, this is the but, trouble, but, isn't it? Does is it, is it go back
4: to 14? Is it five? You know, is it two? Yeah. Is it until you get well, another you, test? You know? Uh, yeah, exactly. But you probably need, actually, to get a proper NHS PCR test mm. if you test positive. Yeah. Um, that's a, a crikey, yes. Uh, you, you're you taking me off in unknown directions once again. Sorry, Simon. My apologies. Now, let me, let me ask you one final question. What are you doing for Christmas? I, I've no idea. <laughs> um, I mean, quite, quite, quite rationally, I've no idea. Um, it's not because I haven't got any friends. Well, although you know, I would believe that, that if you told me with... that, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't um... argue. Uh, but um, no, I, I just don't know. I'd love to be abroad, but yeah, um, you know, at the moment, the only possibility, more or less, is well, yeah, you know, Dubai is a possibility actually, depending on what they want. Yeah, um, I'm hoping that somewhere European might sort of open up without quarantine, but. I'm not actually making any decisions until, um, you know, maybe Christmas Eve. I yeah. just don't know.
2: Really? Yeah. That's great. I'm told yeah. there's quite a lot of Brits in Dubai currently making a nuisance oh, of yeah. themselves and doing what Brits abroad do. Um, you know, so you may find yourself uh, not very welcome there by the time they have finished with it.
4: <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just say I know you. It's, yeah, it you know, works for me everywhere.
2: Mike. That's exactly right. Marvellous stuff. Well, listen, Simon, delightful to talk to you. Where are you now? I don't recognise the street
4: ah okay i'm around the back of uh, victoria station so i've been to the uh, uh, victoria coach station i've been to the railway station beautiful old post office up there mm. i'm now cycling through the quiet streets of um uh victoria enjoying my exercise you're which cycling literally, literally allowed to do. i wish you told me that yeah. before i wasn't i wasn't before i only just started cycling
2: oh i see okay so now yeah, you're cycling start, isn't that some kind you- of offense
4: i don't think so because i'm cycling very carefully and i'm um, I'm, I'm hands-free and just uh, letting the uh, Excellent. Uh, those of us who are lucky enough to be viewing the um, uh, viewing the excitement can see it as well. So, okay, uh, well, don't go I through don't any red I'm lights because br- we'll see I, uh, you doing it. Certainly won't. Uh, cyclists have never done that, have no. they, Mike, as far as well, I know? Well, they claim not to.
2: Myself. Despite the overwhelming evidence, they always say they don't do it. You know. <laughs> You're know, you not going up a one-way street the wrong way, are you? Hey? All no, the cars no, seem no, to be okay. parked the other way.
4: Oh, come on. Give me a
2: break. Simon, very good to talk to you. Enjoy your cycle ride. Uh, Try not to hold up the traffic. Uh, Of course, Simon called there, our travel guru from The Independent, apparently riding. He's about to go through a red light. Here we go. There you go. There's two offences just in one uh, fell swoop. This is Talk
1: Radio. Mid morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. It's
2: 1253 It's Friday, and it's time for this.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Perrier Awards.
2: Oh, now we've got full compliance. We can go ahead now. It wasn't there at the beginning, but... uh... Slightly later than advertised, I apologise for uh, keeping Marta. That's
6: okay, where was the producer? Well, Why, I mean, was, why were they not stopping me? Nobody
2: being? told me to, to, to wind it up, so you know. Terrible,
6: terrible production. I
2: was, I was without leadership in Get that them
6: world. all fired, Indeed. that's Indeed. what I say. Indeed, Anyway, good afternoon and welcome Thank to you. a very express edition of the Perry Awards. Absolutely right. This is where we look back over the past week of the so-called, so-called. Independent Republic of My grandma on yes. Radio and choose some of our favourite moments. Yes. Tradition says, first Perry goes to you. Thank you. It's the impression of the week. This time, Ian Blackford.
2: Can we not have £20 for every man, woman and child in Scotland? <laughs> that's actually that's actually him.
6: It's actually, yeah, yeah. No, it's definitely it's, it's from P&Qs, actually. He, he always allied. asks
2: for money. I don't know why.
6: Well, bless some People just do that, they don't do. they? You know, Thank maybe you. they get lucky. Friend of the show and restaurateur, James Cavarini, joined us early in the week and he delivered the analogy of the week.
4: I mean, it is absolutely, it's, it's a hurricane of devastation. It's unleashing the dogs of war onto every small business in the capital. It makes no sense whatsoever. We spent the last 11 months, more or less, keeping the wolf away from the door. Hmm. And here, Boris may as well just invite the wolf in to have dinner at our table and yeah. just say, is this my friend, come on, Wolfie, right. do your worst with everybody's business. Wolfie.
2: Funnily enough, I'm going to his place next week.
6: Yes, are you? Yes. I heard it's opening again. I'm going to have to do a it is. a little... It's back blocking. in business. Oh, I can't wait to go for dinner. I know, I know. I I know. Just like bowl of pasta and a glass of wine. Yeah,
2: nothing extravagant. No, They're no, also, exactly. to keep them in business these guys, yes, need no. business. Yes, no,
6: obviously, you obviously, know. 100%. Mm. Uh, call it John in County Durham one of my favourite categories is the noisy dog of the week.
1: Mike, um we're spending billions and billions of pounds, you have to excuse my dog. It's a very noisy dog. Of... It was a noisy it dog. It
6: was a very noisy yeah, dog. I wonder if it was like a puppy or howling. something.
2: Howling. Yes. Maybe it was the wolf at the door.
6: You never know. You never know. You never know. It's all connected here, It is, as you know. Uh, speaking of Lindsay Hoyle, mm. last week he won his first prayer award for telling oh. the Prime Minister off uh, during PMQs. Yes. And this week he wins yet again for the sassy moment of the week.
1: Does he support uh, his continue the Right Honourable Member uh, for Islington North, continued membership of the Labour Party? Yes or no? Why does he answer that question?
3: I think I'll just answer the fact that it actually is Prime Minister's questions, not Leader of the Opposition questions.
2: Maybe there's another show in that. Oh,
6: that's Leader what of the I Opposition's think. questions. That's what I think, yeah. Why are you always
2: wearing a blue suit would be my question.
6: Maybe maybe he's like, you know, like Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg, that they all wear the same clothes Shouldn't every day. Shouldn't he wear
2: day. a red suit, by the way?
6: That is very true, but a red suit would be like... Like a clown? It'd be like very Christmassy, wouldn't it?
2: Or like a clown.
6: Well, yeah, that Which he's
2: well. obviously not. No, I'm, I'm, I'm
6: not here to comment on that. He's no. very forensic, though, he I've is. heard.
2: Yeah. I've Maybe we should wear a gown and a wig. <laughs> you should turn up one day like that.
6: Kimono. No, that's another story. <laughs> uh, now, back to the government for yes. the fail of the week.
2: There is now a website which is up, uh, which we'll uh, put out for you on uh, Twitter, which you can go to uh, and check what your uh, postcode is and what your postcode says about the status that you will be in. Unfortunately, uh, however, if you do it now, uh, you won't be able to find out because it's down. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> Well who done, everybody.
6: Thought, who could have thought that this know, was going to happen? I know. Shocking. Oh, absolutely. Truly Breaking shocking. news, everyone. Breaking news. Yes. And finally, Mike, you get a Perrier for the obvious statement of the week.
2: Well, the thing that I found most amazing yesterday was the absence of the word tax. You know, it's a very small word. It's only got three letters. That's it. <laughs> it's very true. There are <laughs> lots of other small words with only three letters. Yes. But I'm not going to mention what they are, no. obviously. I
6: mean, there are so many of them. There are many. We'll be here all day and we, and could. we don't have time. We
2: have no time left.
6: So uh, I'm, I'm going to go. We're all out. I'm going to let Ian Collins come in. Thank you. Maybe he can talk to you about something he's put in this low cooker earlier this week. Possibly so. I don't know. And to you, uh, that's all for the Perrier Awards. There'll be more next week. Thank you.
1: The Perrier Awards on Talk Radio.